I actually in doing this, Casey, I've uh, I've been really anal about it, thinking, you know, what if I talked with Casey for 45 minutes and then said, oh, I forgot to go record. How how would we redo everything? Oh, true. I can't record it on my end, unfortunately. Well, I got you. You look wonderful, Casey Cowan. I put on eyeliner today just for you. So did I. No. Uh. <laughs> yes, thank you. It's uh, it's all about the lighting, as every reporter knows. And uh, so I have soft lighting here, and That's... lighting coming in from the uh, bedroom windows can be a bit bright. It, we our bedroom faces east. We wake up at quarter of six now this time of year. Uh, and that's in. Uh... Tucson, Arizona? Technically, we are in Oro Valley. It uh -huh. is just north. It's on the north end of Tucson. We like okay. to say we're the Lake Oswego of Tucson. <laughs> That's a good thing to be. <laughs> yeah, it's a really wonderful community, and but it's not a 55 and up community. We have people of all ages on our street and families with kids, and it's not a gated community. It's, it's just perfect, though. Uh, and I've learned through uh, my adventures here on the podcast that the, uh, Tucson is becoming a popular area for for uh, KGW retirees. Teresa yeah. down there, Cheryl Hansen's down there. And, you know, Cindy Hansen from Kink Radio. Yes, yes. She's here too. She was oh. the first one who moved down here with her new husband. And Glenn and I socialize with Kevin and Cindy quite a bit. And actually, Cindy and Cheryl and I had lunch together yesterday. So Awesome. Um, and who else is moving down here is, um, well, hopefully soon, uh, uh, Janice Collins and Bruce uh, from uh, Coin TV. Remember right, I remember, I remember Janice. Yeah. They absolutely are planning on moving down here to uh, the Tucson area. And Brooks Burford, he wants to move down here too. So, you know, I know you've got a great place in, uh, in Southern Oregon, but just saying, you know, yeah. you can come down here and we're going to form a club. Yeah. Well, we're uh, Central Oregon sisters. We're right outside of sisters. We're 20 minutes or so from Bend. That's a nice place to be. Yeah. Yeah. We, we love that. Uh, you know, Casey, I want, usually I do this uh, chronologically, but I want to start ah. with, what, with what you're doing now. Cause I think it's so cool. Oh, uh, you're, you're, a, you're, a, you're a published award-winning author. Uh, yeah, the, I'm not making the, any money yet. Yeah, sure. The <laughs> genre though is, it, it fascinates me. Tell me about it. Okay. Fantasies. Good, Good for you. you. These are, these are postcards I use. Cause you know, you never know when you can pitch your book to somebody who likes to read. Um, these all started, this started with the first one, which has been retitled Journey to Wizard's Keep. Nice. I've but, seen that a few times. Uh, you've, uh, you've posted that yeah. uh, page. Yeah. Well, that originally was called The Log, and it was something that um, my friend Sarah, who this character is based on Sarah, Irene, uh, and this is based on Nancy Danner of Danner Boots. These two women were my, my best friends in, uh, in high school. We all went to different colleges. And Sarah had read Lord of the Rings and loved it, except it didn't have very many good female characters. Not at all. So yeah. she decided to write her own book. And she started this whole thing. She wrote this whole backstory about the Valley of William Attay. She just switched up all these um, Oregon names. And the, the king was um, uh, King... Uh, king Neil, the Golden King, which oh, is Neil Goldschmidt. You. I mean, it was—it's amazing. Uh, the hooded mountains, all that stuff. Is there so, is there a jester named Clark, Bud Clark, in there yet? There is not. There is not. <laughs> but she wrote it and um, sent it the first chapter to Nancy and said, "Hey, you write the next chapter." 
She had already established herself and her best friend, her character's best friend, Nan. Nancy Danner became Nan the Dancer. That's her great art. I know, it's really hokey. I made a lot of changes, <laughs> trust me. And then uh, Nancy only wrote a couple pages and kind of just got too busy. This was our senior year in college. And, you know, Nancy was a student teacher and it was all very intense. So she sent it all to me and said, you finish this chapter. So I finished the chapter and introduced myself as a character, uh, Kay. Okay. And I gave myself curly blonde hair because I think at that time I had had a perm. And I always wanted <laughs> curly hair. So that Kay had this unruly mop of curly hair. And we were off and going and we went back and forth and Nancy, we kept encouraging her, but she would just never get around to writing. So uh, mostly it was, I think we got one other chapter out of her and then Sarah and I just finished it. But we never really finished the book. We wrote all the way up to 1982. By that time I was working at KGW. Really? And life just got busy. And so we just stopped, but I had filled two big three ring binders full of all of our handwritten and Xeroxed copies. And I have to tell you, as a poor student, the hardest part of doing this was finding the money to make two Xerox copies of what we wrote mm -hmm. and send them, mail them out. That was always a struggle. But uh, we just stopped and I never threw out my copies. They were in the basement of my house for 23 years. Good for you, you little hoarder. I know, <laughs> I know. And then um, I actually, when I was cleaning out the house when Gwen and I got married and moved to our condo, I thought, oh, should I keep these? Yeah, yeah, I'll keep them. Put them in storage um, in our storage unit in the condo building. They really smelled like my basement at that point, not a, not a good odor. And uh, I just kept them there. And then move forward to 2012, I had been shit canned from um, OPB and was very depressed and had nothing to do. And out of the blue, Sarah said, hey, do you still have the log? And I said, yeah, I do. Uh, she said, would you mind typing it up and emailing it to Nancy and me? Because I don't have my copy. She doesn't have hers. You're the only one who has it all. I don't even remember what we wrote. So it uh, gave me a project. And so I started writing up each chapter and mailing it. And we just sort of got all caught up in it again. And then we got to the last chapter and realized, oh, heck, we never finished this story. So I mapped out a conclusion. And I said, if we each write one or two chapters, Nancy, you do this part. I'll do this part. Sarah, you bring it home. And we finished the book. And we were like, yay for us. And we gave it a new title. And I had a friend come up with just a cartoon kind of drawing. A sorority sister was a very good cartoonist and illustrator. And we just published or printed off copies ourselves just for our own amusement and for all our friends who we made characters in the book. Mm -hmm. But Sarah wrote such a great finish. It was this beautiful ending where Irene gives birth, but you don't know if she gives birth to a boy, which would be a wizard or a girl who would be a mortal. And she just left it hanging. And one day I was thinking about it and I went, oh, I know what happens. And I went to my, my computer and I wrote the first chapter and I sent it to her and I said, do you want to keep going? And she said, oh, yes. <laughs> she, she had the complete idea for the plot of The Hunt for Winter. Which is the sequel to the, to the log, right? Yeah. Okay. And then um, and, and we kept writing and writing. And at one point it was just getting so big. I said, you know, we need to stop this book at this point and start the third book at that same point. And so that became Everfire. And, uh, and so are then, you, is that self-published or were you able to get an agent? Oh, I've not, no, I was not able to get an agent, um, but I did get a very small indie publisher that, that took this book and published it, but it was not in any bookstores. 
it was what we call print on demand. Yeah. And while she, and then she also published this one as well. So then um, she went, her company went belly up. She just, you know, the sales were just not happening. And so I was able to buy back the rights for very little money. And then when I was recovering from my ankle surgery, I uh, reformatted and made some changes and I published them and then they were independently out there. And then I did the same with Everfire. So they're out there on yeah. Amazon, but <laughs> I just cannot figure out how to get them under people's eyes. When people read them, they really like them. Yeah. We seem to have found an audience with um, middle-aged women, the same women who love, like, remember they turned Twilight from this youth, this young adult novel into this yeah. huge thing. Well, those are the people who would show up at the, you know, at sales that we would have with the Oregon Historical Society does this Christmas sale. Uh, Floyd McKay is always there with the book. And I got into it. And so we would be there with our little books. And uh, so we sold some the first time. We sold like 14. Then the next time when we had uh, The Hunt for Winter, a bunch of those women came back, said, oh, I just have to know what happened next. And then we had a year off because Everfire wasn't ready. By the time I went back, I mean, I had all these women coming up and going, oh, I was hoping you'd be here. I have to know what happens to the end of the You series. got some groupies. Good for you. <laughs> I know. They're, they're very small number, though. But anyway, that's what I'm doing now. Good. Well, I think, you know, if, if I think the next step is you sell the movie rights, somebody makes a Netflix, something like that, then everybody's, everybody's going to want to buy the books. If anybody has a connection there, please yeah. call me. Yeah. Let me know. But during the pandemic year, I decided to write a um, the prequel to yeah. the the, the journey to Wizard's Keep. And Sarah has just sort of dropped out. She's, her life has been too busy. So I wrote that one all by myself. And um, I finished it la in fall of 2019 and started editing it and then started to you know pitch it to agents. And then during the pandemic year, I wrote the sequel to that, which is called Reka's Story, who's the main character in, in the other book. So it's kept me sane to do all my writing. And Absolutely. I really love it. It's, it's kind of funny you'd mentioned the, the, where that, you know, saved in your attic and stuff like that. Within the last half hour, I was in my, uh -huh. at, I was in my attic. And the reason I was in my attic is because I just interviewed Larry Shoup. And Larry Shoup brought up a story <laughs> that I had done with Milt Ritter that he really liked. Uh -huh. And, and when, when that happens in these podcasts, I like to, you know, like get them posted so people can see what we're talking about. And this one, I think, I thought was on an on a old DVD no, 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 no. Oh my gosh. So I go up my attic and I, and I find this. So now I got to convert it to video so I can put it into Larry Shoup episode. Anyway, I'm up there. I find the manuscript for my book. You wrote a book? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Back in the early nineties, I had a laptop computer when they were, and, and I would, I would write while we, the photographers and I were driving to stories and I'd write at home. Wow. And, and I'm I, impressed. And I, I finished, uh, I finished a book and uh, uh, it was about a TV news reporter who got in trouble with the law. Mm. Yeah. And uh, anyway, uh, I got an A, I got an a, two agents to read it, but no, nobody to take it. So um, it's been and sitting in my attic. <laughs> yeah, that's where I am on um, The Great Wizard's War, which is the, the book I wrote in the prequel series. And um, I, I, it's just, you know, just you get so many no's. It's like, no, thank you, no, thank you, no, thank you. And then I got two agents to read the whole thing. 
and one of them really loved it, but she said, I am just swamped. Uh, I have too many clients right now, so I just can't take you on. Thanks for nothing. <laughs> yeah. And she said, oh, but I'm sure someone else will take it. And I'm going, well, who? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the other one who asked to read it, um, I just last week heard from her and she was a pass. But I still think there's a reason for these books to be out there. And I, I, I still believe it's going to happen. Good. Well, and, and it's good for you. As you said, it keeps you sane. It has, you know, you're, you're, you're writing, you're thinking, you're telling stories. And, you know, as long as you have the time and the, you can yeah. uh, afford that in your life, that's a great thing to do. And don't you think that being a reporter makes you a really good writer in terms of, you know, I don't have writer's block because yeah. when I sit down in front of a keyboard, you have to write. You know, none of us could ever go up to our producer at five o'clock and say, oh, you know, the muse was yeah, not with me yeah. for that fire story. Perhaps I could have it for you tomorrow. <laughs> no, you had to crank that crap out. Yeah. And sometimes it was crap, but sometimes you, I went back and I looked at a script that I thought, oh, I did, this was awful. And I went, oh, that's actually not too bad. Nice little phrase yeah. there or whatever. So all those years of being a reporter, don't you think we were like trained to be in writing mode when we're in front of a keyboard? Yeah, and it makes you a better editor too, because yes. you know when, when you're looking at looking at a minute thirty, you realize. And some, and you know, I doing stand up comedy these days. Mm -hmm. um, I'll, I'll write a bit, and then I go, well, that word's not necessary, and if that phrase is really important, but it has to be there. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Uh, I I love. I love being a writer. I mean, I know, I do too. you know, we're, that's, that's a, I just feel as though as journalists, as reporters, that's such an important part of what we did. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it helps, you know, writing letters of recommendation for some of the kids that I coach and teach, um, uh, writing, uh, uh, you know, memos to the groups that I'm working with. Anyway, it's, it's a wonderful skill. I wish more kids had it. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I think they should encourage kids to do that more. But I also have to say that when I was a reporter at KGW, surrounded by so many good writers, I really took my gift for granted. And I sort of thought, well, everybody can do this. Then when I left KGW and I went to work for the Children's Services Division, yeah. and I had to produce a newsletter every month or every week, I don't remember. And uh, I would have other people within CSD send me articles and I would read them and I would just go, oh my God, <laughs> <laughs> so awful. Yeah. And I went, I, and that's when I realized, oh, I, I am good at that. And, and I shouldn't take it for granted because not everybody can do that. Right. But when you work in KGW and everybody's a good writer, you just assume everybody in the world can do what we do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not true. Yeah. I, I dug up, a, I was inspired by Teresa who had, you know, billboards and right. bus slides and crap like that. I, I was like, wow, that is so impressive. Uh, but I did find this picture of me. This is from Yo. 1983. I'm up at the zoo. Cool. And With your blue KGW rain jacket. I know. Loved that. I <laughs> was so excited when I got ribbon. that. I know. It was a real mark of distinction. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the years that I was the entertainment reporter, this is the ad. Oh, I had. love that Casey picture, Casey. Very okay. I remember so vividly taking that photo because they said, Casey, we need to have you do this photo. Come into the little studio. And I said, okay, but i got to go on a story. The, the photographer's literally in the car waiting for me. And they said, just hold this and do this. And I went like, ha, ha, ha. And then I said, if you got it, boom, I was gone. And I was just like, yeah, that was a good picture. For yeah, for three, four days. Yeah, that was a fun year doing the entertainment. Um, 
Well, we'll we'll get to that because that I think that's that's where I first uh, got my doses of Casey Cowan when you were doing that. Ooh. But let's see, <laughs> Wilson High School um, uh, theater geek, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. All my friends were in plays with yeah. me. Yeah. OSU, yeah, OSU involved in your sorority. You end up in Missoula, mm -hmm. Montana, to start your career, and you get I got out something as fast. From there too. You get oh, I got out as fast as I could, definitely. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but, How'd you get um, to KGW though? Oh well. I mean, because that's uh, I, a blessing to be able to get to your. Both of us worked in our hometowns. Yeah. And, and yeah, for, and for full careers, to, and most most people don't get that. And so they never has, get that chance. Yeah. Okay, so I was working at um, Missoula, Montana, at KECI TV, and here is uh, Casey's chill chart because they made me. I do. I had to do the weather, and mm. I knew nothing about weather. But we used to give this little chill chart out to people. I was chill before being chill was chill. <laughs> And, um, but I knew I was ready to move on. And so I came home for a trip to visit my parents and family. <clears throat> and I had set up appointments at COIN, K2, I think, maybe it was KPTV and KGW. They all were willing to have me come in and bring my little tape and show off what I do. And I, at KGW, met with Dave Lipoff, who was really nice. I mean, he was really, really nice and he was very encouraging. And he said, um, well, you know, we actually have an opening for a weekend anchor coming up. So, you know, um, maybe we can you know, consider you for that. I was like, oh, yay. The whoever I met with at Channel 6 was really awful, just terribly mean. And, <laughs> Channel, and Channel 2 was not much better. I mean, they were very dismissive. And it's like, you don't have enough experience to be in this 23rd largest market, blah, blah, blah. Missoula was the 156th smallest market out of 212 so yes a yep. good place to begin that, that was the formula you you were at 150 they wanted you at 50 or 60 before they got you to the market 20. exactly uh, some people like you and i can defy that formula <laughs> and i i'm really lucky that i did so i didn't get the job for the weekend anchor that went to carolyn young who was already working there and i couldn't fault them because it's like well good they promote from within i like that about that station so six months go by and i come back to portland and a friend of mine who worked in HR said, go ask for an interview with the same guy that you liked and was nice to you and don't bring a tape this time and just ask him for help. Just ask his opinion because people love to have their opinion asked. And I went, all right, that seems strange, but okay. Mm -hmm. So I made another point with Dave, sat down. I said, you know, Dave, I know I'm ready to leave Missoula. I know I've learned everything I can learn there. Maybe I'm not ready for Portland yet. What do you recommend? And he was just like all over it. it was like, well, I think there's an opening in Spokane. That's a good market for you and blah, blah, blah. And he was making calls and you know helping me. None of those panned out. But three months later, there was another opening for a weekend reporter at KGW. And then what they had called at that time, like a production assistant, somebody who would just help write copy three days a week. Mm -hmm. And they, I was top of mind. So he called me up, said, send me a, a new tape of new stuff. And I did. And then I got the job. So I went from earning $750 a month, big salary, mm -hmm. this is 1981, to I, I think my salary almost doubled. Yeah. And it's like, yay, union. So thank you for that. Yeah, I was hired as a reporter trainee because I out of my internship because and I, right. didn't have, I didn't have two years of experience but in the union contract that that position it was existed and i made ah. 50, i made fifteen thousand dollars my first year uh what i remember about you is that they broke their 
unwritten rule about never hiring an intern for six months. That was a hard and fast rule they abided by, and they broke that rule for you. I remember, you. I remember Scott and uh, whoever else was, uh, who was the uh, other guy who did uh, sports when you were first there? Al Keck. Al Keck, dark hair, loved him. Yeah. They, were, they both told me that they, they broke the rule. They managed to persuade them, no, we've got to have this guy. So, yay. <laughs> well, it's yeah. nice that they did that because yeah, that's launched your whole career, which you've had an amazing career. Uh, I talked to Scott about a month or so ago about just that. I said, well, you know, how the heck did you get, what did you do to get me hired? Because there were some experienced people that were uh, lined up for that job in town. Yeah. Um, partly I was probably cheap and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that trainee thing, that helped. Yeah. Um, so what I like about that is that you, um, you took the job, even knowing it wasn't a full-time reporter job, and you, you know, you, you, you got in at the ground floor, and you did right. the nuts, the nuts and bolts, and a lot of people do that. Uh, there are a lot of people that, you know, a lot of our photographers, they started out as editors or, or, or live truck technicians, and they learned the skill and they did that. And and many reporters, you know, started yeah. out as, uh, you know working in promotions or, you know, Rhonda Shelby, bless her heart. I love her to death. She started out in promotions at K2. Really? And, and, and then they said, you know, and she did public speaking on behalf of the company. And all of a sudden we need somebody to do weather this weekend, you know, and ah. that, and her, you know, her career goes crazy. Uh, but I love the fact that, you know, that you were, uh, you know, a writer oh. for newscasts and, I and, just and did it happily probably. Yeah. Well, yeah. But what they found out was because I was a very fast writer, even then, um, they could send me out on a quick story, some press conference, some little thing at the zoo, whatever. Uh, and I could get that story done, written and edited and still do my other work. Right. And the way the union contract was, was in those days, anytime my face or my voice appeared on a story on air, they had to pay me at a higher rate. They had to pay me at the reporter rate. Mm -hmm. Otherwise they paid me at this, you know, production assistant rate. And I, I think it was like a, it, it was a $70 day if I was ever on TV. And uh, so I started getting a lot of $70 days because of that. Um, and then thank God Reagan fired the air traffic controllers because that was my big break to become a full-time reporter. Um, one of the things I had to do on, on Monday as a assignment editor, or excuse me, as the assistant, production assistant, was I came in at seven o'clock rather than eight, which is when most of the reporters came in. So we knew the strike was gonna happen. I had done two stories on it the weekend prior. And Monday I walk in and they say, Casey, get your gear. You're going out to the airport. You're gonna do a live shot at noon. Okay, so they sent me out there and I, I may have done a live shot during some morning break or something, I don't remember, but I did the noon live shot. And then they said, stay out there and produce something for the five. And I went, okay. <laughs> so I did. And then the next day they sent me out again. And like all week long, every day I was out there at the airport covering the lead story. Mm -hmm. And it never occurred to me that anybody would be upset that the rookie had the lead story. But Steve Irmo told me later, years later, that there was a lot of grumbling about how I had the lead story. Because, you know, we all put such store in that. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I guess they thought it was okay. And I came in one time and sat down with the news director. And I said, am I, am I going to be a full-time reporter after this week? I was pretty ballsy to say that. And he yeah. goes, well, yeah, you are actually. And I went, oh, good. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how I became a full-time reporter. Uh, and then uh, 
I, I got there as an intern in 82. You were there. I started mm -hmm. in January of 83. And right after that, uh, Paul Sands, the news director who hired me, um, there they went to that specialist um, as, as yeah, and they had, and you, you were the entertainment reporter. Uh, right. Pat Cruz came in to do the um, economy uh, and consumer. consumer report. Yeah. And Lori Van Kirk did medical. Yes. God I bless think, her. And I think you guys did uh, like, uh, three stories a week, but you were concentrated on, on whatever your thing was. And first of all, let me point out yes. that, th that they were banking in 1983 on three women. Wow. You, I, you hadn't, I hadn't considered that, but you're right. They were all women who got those parts. Yeah. And actually I owe getting that job to John Hammerley. Um, John, you remember how the newsroom was in the old days where they had all the producers up front and there was like that long, long desk. It went all the way across the front of the newsroom. Mm -hmm. Okay. So John Hammerley was doing a story about bagpipes and he needed footage of bagpipes, like from a movie. And he could not think of anything. And everybody he asked couldn't, no, I don't know. I don't know any bagpipe movies. And he finally in frustration stood up on that desk and shouted, what movie has bagpipes in it and I was in my cubicle remember we had the high cubicles yeah. then and I just popped right up and I said Gunga Din with Cary Grant or Wee Willie Winky with Shirley Temple <laughs> and he went thanks Thank and jumped you. down and well Paul Sands witnessed that and he told me later that was why he picked me to be the entertainment person he I think he asked me first Are you, you really like entertainment and theater and all like that. I said, oh yeah. And he said, okay, then I'm going to make you the, the entertainment specialist. It was a fun year. Yeah. Uh, Cause I mean, to get to do the kind of things that really interest you uh, and, and to have your, your niche where, you know, you were planning what you were doing and not having to wait for an assignment to come in. That, that's kind yeah. of a, that's kind of a nice way to kind of, to run your life as a reporter. Um, uh, I remember uh, the cool thing was, is, is you got to see all the movies and previews before the rest of us. Yes, I did. <laughs> and you would, you would take your friends. You took me, do you remember the movie you took me to see? I do. No. <laughs> I do. I do. Casey. Okay. <laughs> it was, uh, uh, it was romancing the stone with Kathleen Turner and Michael Douglas. And of course, all I ever think about that scene is when they both slide down the hill and yeah. he ends up with his face in her lap. I was like, I was probably very embarrassed to have you at that movie with me. But, mm. Oh, but I, I think we both liked it. I think it was, oh, yeah. it was fun because oh, yeah. I think part of your, I think on Fridays, didn't you I review movies? That. I think so. That was usually what I do if they yeah. were opening. Yeah. And if I had, uh, now, of course, you would just be sent a screener probably or, or a code to view it on your computer screen. Yeah. But yeah, back in the days, you used to go to these theaters. It was fun. That's the first Star Wars I got to go to was a screening. And I'll never forget, you know, it's all dark and all of a sudden that big chord and the words are right there. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> that was so great. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with that. But Paul decided to kill it. And um, God, news directors really need to take classes in how to deal with giving bad news. So here's how he did it. You remember how every year we had to fill out these just obnoxious things to uh, on performance appraisals, right? Yeah. You had to judge yourself. And they kept coming up with new ways, rating yourself on a scale of one to five, writing your whatever. So whichever one it was, we all had to do it. And it was my turn to go in and sit down with Paul and I had really labored over this. I'd come up with a bunch of new ideas and segments and things I wanted to do for the entertainment thing. And I proudly hand it to him. He looks at it, he tosses it on the desk. He says, well, before we get started, we're killing the entertainment segment. 
Would you have told me that before I spent so much time on this? No. So yeah, that that was the end of that. But I think they did keep the medical and the um, yeah. I and, think uh, the consumer thing for a while longer. At, at in talking with Regan, who followed Paul Sands, yeah, I, I think that that time at KGW, which was Larry Badger followed by Paul Sands, who wasn't there very long. Yeah, they Larry were, hired me. They were just throwing darts to see what would work. They didn't really have a yeah. big a plan for things. And uh, I liked the dart in the entertainment because I just thought it was a great way <laughs> to bring out, you know, local, you know, you, you didn't just review movies. You did plays and mm -hmm. theater and actors who were trying to make it big and bands. I mean, it was, it was a good way to showcase the community. So I... I, I I remember one producer, one director of a play who I later did theater with. Uh, he directed me in several plays. I just loved him. Uh, he was doing The Bad Seed, which is a story about a child who's just evil and ends up, you know, like killing another child because she wants something from it. It's a spooky movie. And they were doing it as a play. And it all hinges on casting the right little girl to play that part because yeah. she's a total psychopath. Anyway, so... I called Civic Theater and I said, I'd like to do a story on this. And I know you're in rehearsals. Can we come? And Jerry Leith told me years later, he, he was annoyed that we were going to take up time from his rehearsal. And, you know, he gave me the interview. I think I interviewed the little girl. We shot some scenes and we left. And after it aired, he said, they sold out. Yeah. And he said, that's when I realized how important the media could be to yeah. the theater. So, um, yeah, that was a that was a fun year. Didn't you? Um, uh, Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel got back together at that time for a big thing. And did you get sent to Vancouver, B.C. for that? And I almost got killed. Um, OK, we well, went... we buried the lead. <laughs> <laughs> That is in my memory as one of the most scary experiences I ever had as a reporter. I oh my was goodness. With um, Jeff Douglas. And I want to say Milt was the photographer. I'm not sure. Um, Danny Bronson? I really have a, maybe it might have been Bronson. Anyway, we go up there for this. And the way they had the um, arena set up, they had chairs, then they had a big empty space where they had uh, people were allowed to sit. Then they had a series of guards who were standing. Then there was a little more space and then um, a, a, a cement wall, which came right up to about my, my armpit. And the stage was right above that. Okay, so there's this buffer. And the guards were there to keep the people who were, you know, in the, I forget what they used to call that thing where they'd allow people to crowd in there. And there was a fatality at another auction, at another uh, concert, and they, they banned them. Now it's a mosh pit. <laughs> yeah, but they allowed it at the time. So we were set up between the guards and the cement wall and the stage. So we had our camera set up, and um, just before the concert started, the guards went away. And the crowd took that as the opportunity to rush. And so all of a sudden, we were surrounded. We're trying to keep our space and our gear um, safe. And people would push from the back and this wave would come and I was being crushed against the cement wall, this, this barrier. And I mean, I literally was screaming because I was so scared and because I was, I was being crushed by this crowd. We finished shooting whatever we needed to shoot. We, we literally had to take the gear, put it over the barrier, climb over the barrier, climb under the stage. <laughs> and escape. It, it was really terrifying. Wow. So that's my happy memory of going to the concert. <laughs> All the while, 
slow down, you move too fast. <laughs> <laughs> well, they the big I don't know if they saw it at all. If they saw me screaming, they probably thought I was screaming with joy. Yeah, right. It was so close Boy, that, to them. That reporter's a big fan down there. <laughs> <laughs> she loves us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, those are some, I mean, I'm sorry that it was so tragic, but, you know, getting, getting to do the, you know, as a sports reporter, I, you know, they sent me down to the, within a couple of months, I was down at the forum in Los Angeles, watching the Blazers and the Lakers and the playoffs, you know, being that a news reporter, been cool. yeah, just being a news reporter gets, you get places uh, that other people don't get. And it's, it's true. It's really tremendous. Yeah. The access uh, is pretty amazing. And you did so many things at KGW because I know you anchored weekends for a while. You one you year. Had, yeah. The Salem beat uh, the, you, the state government beat, which yeah. uh, Regan put me on that beat. That was four years of covering state government, basically the Goldschmidt <clears throat> administration. His, yeah. his four years. Yeah. And I don't know that a lot, that doesn't happen as much as it used to, uh, you know, we used to have a bureau there. We yeah. had our office, a camera, editing equipment. You got to work with the uh, uh, eccentric uh, Lauren Ruark, <laughs> who is a Lauren, legend, a legend oh, in the, uh, the market. <laughs> I know he had so much hustle. He, he never walked if he could run there. That's basically Lauren. Um, but I remember Chuck Diamond telling me, the only reason we're all here, Casey, is because we're all here. And the first station that drops out and closes its bureau, they're all going to fall. And he was right. There, there's nobody has a permanent bureau down there anymore. Yeah. But I, I did enjoy it. I was uh, Regan wanted me to do it. Eileen Pincus Walker was leaving, right? And he offered it to me. And and my my feeling at that point was. He's probably hoping I'll fail so he can fire me. I mean, I really had no trust in his choices, me replacing Eileen. And I really didn't want to do it. I think, uh, actually, he didn't tell me it was, it was Jeff Douglas. I think probably Regan told Jeff, call Casey and ask her to do this. I was home recovering from my ankle surgery. And, um, and I told Jeff no. And Jeff, being Jeff, just kind of said, well, think about it. Just mm -hmm. think about it for a while. We'll talk again. So then I called John Tuttle and I, he answers and I said, John, I'm craving, craving Chinese food and company. Can you get someone come over? And he said, okay, sure. So he got Chinese food and he came over and we ate and I told him about this offer and he didn't say much, you know, we just kind of talked about it a little bit. And then as he left, he just turned and said, you know, I think you should do it. I think you do a good job. And then he just walked out. And that's why I took it was because of John's faith in me. That's the yeah. only reason I took it. And the first year was terrifying because I didn't know the people. I didn't oh. know the issues. I constantly was stressed out. But um, by the second legislative session, I loved it. And I yeah. really liked the legislators. And it was more fun then. There wasn't so much division and all that kind of crap. So, yeah, it, yeah I enjoyed those four years. Uh, you, you mentioned a couple of great people that uh, that you were mentors for you. Jeff Douglas, who was uh, the kind of an executive producer. He did a lot of jobs. Yeah. Also started Kink Radio. Um, right. uh, he was, I miss him. He was such a voice of reason for all of us. I mean, he was mm -hmm. kind of like a father figure. Just because he was a little bit older than us. He, he was calm. He was realistic. He... Yeah. Uh, he was very a great, practical, a great buffer between management and the worker bees. Yeah. Um, miss him dearly. I do. And he handed me the best job I've ever had on a silver platter. I was he, working at KXL. And he, he brought you to OPB, right? 
for Artbeat, yeah. yeah. But it started out as um, he called me and said, let's let's meet for coffee. So I was like, okay. And he tells me he wants to start this show. And we kicked around ideas and he knew I was interested in the art. So I thought, well, that was it. You know, he just wants my input. So I gave it to him. And then he said, well, I'll, I'll let you know if this thing happens. And so he got enough funding to do the first 10 shows of pilot season. And he said, do you want to anchor it? We'll work around your schedule at KXL. And I was working the early shift. So I was always done by 10 o'clock in the morning. Then I would go up just right up the street, up Macadam to uh, OPB. And I would tape the, the show. Uh, and then uh, it had such a phenomenal uh, reaction. People just loved it that they got funding for two years. And they offered me the job to be a producer of stories and the, the host. And even though he said, I can't promise you more than two years, mm-hmm. I was there for 10 years. So, yeah. um, and it was so much fun. I got to travel, worked with great people. A lot of great KGW people were there as well, Milt. Yeah. And uh, it, it was just um, a wonderful, wonderful job. Got to travel the state, meet all these artists. And um, yeah, it was, I'm really it was a real, him. you should be proud of that, Casey. It was a very strong staple of, of entertainment and arts in, in our area and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and on a, re- a very respectable place for it to be, you know, you weren't, ga- you weren't going to have the greatest ratings and the greatest advertising, <laughs> ratings, but that's right. okay. That's what OPB is for. And what you did and produced there over those 10 years is really, uh, you know, something to be proud of. I think I, I, I won a regional Emmy and uh, one of those other awards. I can't remember. You uh, need to get your it. regional Emmy right behind you. I know, but you know, that. I have one of the baby Emmys where they oh. had the square base, not the round base, and it doesn't look as good. Oh. I want one like yours. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm seriously thinking if I called them and said, oh, my, my Emmy was destroyed in a, a tragic house fire. Can I buy a new one? Yeah. And get one on the new base. <laughs> I might try that. Uh, and then you mentioned John Tuttle uh, and, and, I know in preparing for this and reading some of the stuff you sent me, uh, I, I didn't know that you and John were as close as you were. As, uh, and I, I wish I wish I was closer to John because I uh, I respected and loved his work yeah. so much. And, and uh, I just didn't get have a chance to get to know him because I was in sports and he had, he left fairly soon after I got there. Um, yeah, he went to OPB, and then of course he died. He, of, he did uh, uh, he did a couple of years as as the commentator, you know, yes. after Floyd McKay left, right? Uh, which which I thought initially was that's not the best place for John. You know, he's not writing to pictures and telling stories, but you know, he had such a great perspective on Oregon that it was, uh, you know, yeah. I always looked I always looked forward to what he had to say, even though I didn't understand it for the most part. <laughs> and I don't remember which news director was. I think it was Bobo. Um, Wenstrand. He decided to, we weren't going to have a, a commentator anymore. And he literally called John in and said, well, we're killing the commentator thing, but I hear you're a pretty good feature reporter. Why don't you put together a reel to me of your, with your work? So insulting. Uh, and, yeah. and that's when John said, I need to get out of here now. <laughs> so yeah. he, he told me, he said, well, I'm looking for anything that pays more than a, than a um, paper route. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then of course he landed doing documentaries, award-winning documentaries. Yeah. I miss you very, very much. Yeah, we all do. Uh, it's funny that you, that's the news director that allowed me to leave sports and get to news. Oh, 
yeah. okay, that's Which, cool. He did well, one thing, right? <laughs> well, I mean, it, uh, uh, he had some perspective there because it, it you know, extended my career 20-some years. I wasn't going to last where I was doing sports. Uh, I, and I know that there's there were a lot of flaws under that administration. Um, mm. But, you know, ups and downs. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, there was some probably some news directors that other people just thought were dreadful who were great to me. You know, everybody has their own personal experience. Yeah. Um, so I got to tell you about the the union, uh, in case you forget to ask me about this. Like, this is so, such a great story. Well, you mentioned uh, earlier <laughs> on, KGW was a union shop. Yes. And uh, we had a contract that paid a certain amount of money and, and the way we were treated. Uh, I think for a while, COIN was, K2 was not, or one or the other, but eventually, I think KGW might still be the only union shop for after for reporters. Yeah, uh, and, and so for a while, um, uh, Larry Shoup and I were co-union presidents, co-shop presidents, because nobody wanted to take it all on, but we thought between the two of us, we would you know, have enough uh, brain power to, to manage to do it. And so it fell to us to negotiate the new contract. And for some reason, KGW was being really awful. They came in with an offer of 0% raise. And yeah. we, were for, we were asking for six, hoping to settle for two and a half or three. And at that time, I think, you know, 3% was uh, the cost of living. So we had to have these repeated meetings with management team to, to do this. And, you know, Larry, he is sensible, logical, very matter of fact. And that's how he approached our negotiations. You would have the, well, the cost of living is this and a such and such raise would put us in line with other stations of a similar market. So, I mean, he had it all laid out. And I was mostly the supportive, you know, yes, right. You know, that kind of thing. But they kept coming back with nothing, with nothing. And finally they came back with 1%. And I lost it. I <laughs> burst into tears. And I said, are you telling me that that's all these people are worth to you? These people who work nights and weekends and every holiday, that's all they're worth to you. One percent. Oh, let's take a break. So they leave and we, we come back and they say, all right, this is our final offer. And it was 5% or 4%. I think it was 5%. We were hoping for three. Mm -hmm. and so Larry and I are trying to keep it. Like, yes, well, we will discuss this with the rank and file. Thank you. <laughs> and we go to, I mean, and that's how we got that nice raise that year because I just, I, he was all the left brain logic and I was the right brain emotion. And together we, we worked pretty well. <laughs> you, you were good shop steward, bad shop steward, good cop, exactly. bad cop. <laughs> exactly. And it, I don't know if Larry even remembers that, but I will just never forget. I just totally burst into tears and lost it. And uh, <laughs> they were not expecting that. <laughs> well, good timing. Yeah. You sh that should have been the way that you planned it. So yeah, no kidding. Uh, well, you know, it's, uh, I just love being a, a part of your story, Casey, because uh, when I started at KGW, uh, you know, you guys were it. You guys were, you know, you and John Tuttle and Lou Frederick and, <laughs> oh, you know, Lou. and, and uh, Neil Rosenau, um, uh, you know, and not to mention all the other, but, but Ann Curry was there when I started. Yes. And right. so, uh, when I, oh, I have a, I have a great Ann Curry story if you want oh, to hear it. Please. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Ann was always, I mean, she had her eye on the prize. She wanted to go very far in this business and did. 
and did. And we were in the, uh, the, the, the ladies room one time, both doing our makeup because one of us was going to be on set. One of us was going to be in a live show. I don't know, but we're both just like, you know, doing our makeup, not talking. And she looks at me and goes, Casey, what are your goals in this business? And I went, Oh, um, well, I, you know, I suppose I'd like to anchor, but you know, mostly I, I want to stay here in Portland. This is my home. I'm happy <clears> here. I said, what about you? And she goes, I'm going to go as far in this man's business as I can. <laughs> and the, in the, I'll just never forget the wording of that, this man's business. And, you know, not long after that, she had an agent, she went to LA and then got on uh, with the network. So, you know, good for her. She went all the way. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, her story leaving the Today Show, which has never really been told completely. Of all, we've heard a lot about her and Matt Lauer and, uh, uh, you know, so she was fighting the good fight all the way. <laughs> oh, everybody has a horrible firing story. Everybody. Yeah. You know, remember Tracy Berry found out she was, they were taking her off one of the newscasts. She read it in the newspaper, in the gossip column. That's mm. how she learned it. Mm. Um, yeah. Some, you know, I had a news director walk past me when I was the anchor and say, by the way, this is your last weekend anchoring and keep on walking. You know, did, did not call me in and sit me down for a conversation, just like a drive-by firing. Uh, so yeah, it's just, it's just, I think, endemic with the, uh, with that industry. Mm. Well, give lessons on, here's how you break someone's heart in broadcasting. <laughs> well, what, but you, sir, you ma'am are a great survivor because you, uh, in all the different things you did and uh, being, uh, uh, you know, all the different shifts, uh, and being just a hard worker, and I, I, I always was though. I think I, at KGW. Yeah, I, I always love the people that that uh, would put their nose to the grindstone and get stuff done for oh, the good thanks. for the good of the team, and so that was awesome. I had some uh, great examples, like you said, Neil Rosenau, Tuttle, uh, two of the best people to write to video. I learned so much from them. They yeah. were just the best, and you were always fun to work with. And uh, do you remember Steve Ermo? Steve Irmo did that morning cut-in stuff while during my internship, but he was gone. Right. He was gone pretty soon after that. But I do remember him. Yeah. I have no idea where he is. Every now and then, I try and Google him to find him. I don't know where he is, but he was a good friend. We used to hang out together and talk a lot. Well, and and the other thing that about that work ethic that I learned was from all those great photographers that we worked with. You know, pe people who you know, they just got thrown around. I don't want to say abused, but it's like, go there, get this, do that, pick up that reporter, do that kind of yeah. stuff uh, with, with no thanks, no on air, you know, nothing. Uh, those people, they, they taught me as much as the reporters did. I, yeah. And when I first came to KGW from KECI TV, I shot my own stuff mm -hmm. and, or you go out with another reporter, you shoot his interview, he'd shoot yours. And, and so I didn't know how to work with a professional photographer and I didn't realize the importance of communication with them about the story and and one of the photographers um his name was Steve very dark hair with white streaks Steve, oh. Steve Gosson Steve Gosson um <clears throat> he just took me to task one day ripped me a new one <laughs> um and and explained to me this is how it's supposed to be this is what you're supposed to do and it was like well okay thank you for that I yeah. had no idea I had no idea so yeah, um, so maybe the the method of his teaching was not good, but Wait, yeah, I'll tell this story. Uh, Kevin Phelps taught taught me a, a, an invaluable lesson. Um, 
you know, because I, I would work with the guys and, and, and we'd talk and we, yeah. I, I thought it was pretty good about communicating ideas with stories and that kind of stuff. But, I, you know, I got to a story, said, hi, I'm Carl Click. I'm, you know, and, and let's start shooting our story. And when we we're all done, Kevin said, um, you know, you should introduce me. Uh, because, you know, I'm, I'm part of this too. And we're working mm-hmm. on this as a team. And, and I just, I was, you know, I'm young. I'm, I'm just new. And, and, you know, I went, hell oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what the hell am I thinking? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, and A, I had to learn that lesson. The fact that Kevin felt comfortable doing that instead of just going back to the newsrooms on, yeah, see that <laughs> asshole kid did. You know, he taught me a huge lesson that I never forgot. And, hopefully every other photographer I worked with for the rest of my career felt better about working with me because, hi, I'm, I'm Carl Click. This is Kevin Feltz. We're going to work on this, blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah. It, it was a great lesson. Uh, one of many that I learned yeah. from, uh, from people that I worked with. So one of my favorite photogs to work with was, um, was Dan Bronson. Dan? And I, I still remember the very first story we ever shot together because, um, I came back and I looked at the tape and I went, my God, this man has an eye. Uh, it was a story about a man who was trying to restore some boat. It had some historic importance and this big rainstorm, whatever, it was half submerged and he was just heartbroken. It was like in his eighties and how was he going to fix it and blah, blah, blah. So they, they sent us out to do this story. And basically we have the guy to talk to and we have a boat that ain't doing anything but being stuck in the water. <laughs> and, I, and I thought, okay, well, this isn't going to be really wonderful visual. And I came back and I looked at the tape and I just said, oh my gosh, this is fabulous. These are gorgeous pictures. Danny really has an eye. Mm-hmm. So I, I started requesting Danny quite a lot. And we, you know, we did our series in, uh, on uh, would-be actors uh, who were trying to make it in New York. We went to New York together and did a lot of other fun stuff. He was, he was great to work with. Yeah, the story I remember with Dan Bronson is he and I came over here to um, Mount Bachelor to do a story on an Olympic skier, Ooh. a cross, cross-country skier who had won a medal and was getting ready for the next Olympics, which were going to be on NBC. So, and so we came over, we spent the night, we did two stories with a guy, and then we came back. <clears throat> now, in sports back then, we edited our own stuff. Um, oh really? Oh yeah. Fun. Which which was against the union contract, but kind of they just kind of looked the other way, because most I of the gotten that I didn't most know, of the stuff I knew that. most of the stuff we were editing were like highlights, you know. And mm-hmm. you know, a photographer or an editor, uh, they didn't care about this home run and that double play and that kind of stuff. And we just wanted yeah. to crank it out. But we also edited our own stories too. Um, oh okay. And and it, I, it, most people didn't mind that. Uh, because they were, would rather be shooting and editing the other stuff they're doing. And and to edit a sports story, you needed to understand sports a little bit. Anyway, uh, so- <laughs> Got no, me out. <laughs> yeah, well, um, but it, I, I think it, it, it bothered some people, but not everybody. But anyway, uh, so Danny came back and he, and he said, do you mind if I edit this? And, and, and I, I, bas- mm. I said, no, not at all. Uh, it, it was new because- um, you know, we edited our own stuff, but I, the, yeah, great. Go ahead. And he, he spent the time he had shot certain shots to do certain things and he dissolved and things like that. And, and he, he edited the hell out of that story and I would have butchered it. <laughs> so yeah, uh, talent, talent will out. Yeah. But yeah. We had great photographers that we worked <clears throat> with and, um, and, and our assignment editor, remember Elliot Eckie, he knew who to put together 
depending on what kind of a, how, how much time could be used for that story. So if it's gonna be a, a feature and you've got all day to work on it, great, send Tuttle and Milt out there. They're both, you know, they're gonna take the time. And it's gonna be a wonderful piece. You need something really fast. Maybe you're gonna send, you know, Casey and somebody else out. One time I literally was writing the story, driving back from it. We were in the second segment of the news it was already five o'clock by the time we got there. And I just went in and recorded it. And I told him, you know, give me 15 seconds of this and five seconds of that and the soundbite. I hadn't even typed it up yet. I typed the intro and sent it and the editor and we got it on the air. We did yeah. not miss our slot. So <laughs> in fact, I only missed my slot one time. Did I, did I ever not hit my, my designated slot in the news rundown? So that's something I, to be proud of. Yeah, it, I only missed once too. And the only reason I missed was because the story in front of me missed. Oh. So story A wasn't ready, uh, and so they needed story B, and I was counting on that. <clears throat> I mean, we were <clears throat> close. We were counting on that extra two <laughs> minutes before we could get it in. Uh, and th then came the memo. This was on a weekend. Then came the memo that all, all the lead block stories have to be done at 4.55. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, well, they didn't even put any effort into the weekend news when I was first the weekend reporter. I would come in in the morning and I'd be all by myself. And Carolyn Young would have left me a list of stories that she absolutely I had to do. And then some others that I could try and pick up and maybe one other that I could send the photographer out to shoot while I was writing. Uh, and it was just, you know, and then she and, and uh, Pete Schulberg would come in and they would do the rest of the writing and put together the, the whole rundown and all like that. So it was a very good training ground. Yeah. Um, you know, we both had good opportunities to really hone our skills. And, and Carolyn helped me be a better writer because she would sometimes read my script and just go, hmm, I think you can do better and hand it back to me without telling me what was wrong. Just like you figure it out. And <laughs> I would, I think I hated her at the time, but yeah, I'm really sure grateful did. for it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> she was, she was a good producer. Well, Casey, this has been a blast. Yeah. Uh, it's, I'm having such a good time talking to all my old friends. So, um, well, I, you know, we're going to be there forever. I mean, maybe, maybe, Hundreds of years from now, they'll be going, wow, what was TV like in the old days? Look, we found this whole series of podcasts by this weird guy, and he's interviewing all his old friends. I'm happy to be that weird guy. So. Yeah.